The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 407. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what? Big, well... I guess you, might, you could call it a tiny show, really. Yeah, actually, Noah and I both have the Raspberry Pi 3 here in studio. Well, our respective studios. We're going to give you our review, talk about why this is kind of a bigger deal than you might think some of the 64-bit competition out there on the marketplace. And then we'll bring on someone to talk about including the Raspberry and potentially the Pi 3, an upcoming product that uh, we're both pretty excited about. So stay tuned for that. But before that... In the news segment, you've heard of the drown attack. Turns out maybe you need to update, but Fedora's not complaining. We'll tell you why. Spotify for Linux. We know it's been rough for a while. Now we officially know why, and it turns out the entire internet is freaking out. They never saw this one coming. We'll give you the details on that. Microsoft wants to lock down the PC platform. Boom, like an Xbox. And somebody pretty surprising is calling them out. An industry insider, if you will. Thunderbolt is coming to Linux we got the feedback, but before all of that, no, well, you know what we got? The picks. We've got the picks. And uh, last week, I, I just said, Noah, surprise me with the Runs Linux. Just come at me with the Runs Linux, and we'll just let it land on the show and see, see how it does. See if it's, you know, pretty good. And to tell you the truth, last week's was a little rough. It was a little rough last week. Now, hold on. Could you tell by the show notes, by the way I put this in? Could you tell? Could you tell? Like, well, I, got, I had a good sense. I mean, and, there's, and, there's, and, there's, and there's a time link, and there's a description, and, and all Linux is and a note And a note from an audience member. So uh, why don't we yeah. start with the note from the audience member? Do you want to take that, and then I'll show the video? Sure. Uh, so the note from the audience member, which I didn't have pulled up. <laughs> I got it. I got it's it. Right. You want me to run it? Because you know well, what? Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm quick. I'm quick on the draw. Longtime Jupiter Broadcasting fan here in India was reading an article about a driverless car made by an ingenious team of five here in India. The article mentioned how this automatic driving system was much cheaper and simpler to implement on any car production. And basically, the, the video is kind of long, but I've watched the entire thing so I can yeah. document yeah. where everything uh, and and inside of it, they they actually he goes through, and it's a little bit difficult to understand because of the language barrier. But he explains. Yeah, it is in English. It's just an accent, right? Yeah. But he he just he explains about how uh, he went through and looked at all the different car uh, possibilities that he could implement that he could implement this system in, mm -hmm. and eventually chose this specific make and model because of the actually part of it was the space that they had available, unused space, uh, you know, under places underneath. Oh, to get the gears or to get the outside of the so you can put cameras yeah. and stuff. You know what? No, it turns out, too, that meant that this thing, that, that, that the other thing that makes this interesting, this driverless car that runs Linux, is uh, it's not an automatic transmission. It's a manual transmission. So I just want to uh -huh. play a little bit of the video. So there's, there's the Ubuntu. The difference from the simulation was that in simulation, we consider Tata Nano to be having an automatic transmission. But in reality, Tata Nano comes with a manual transmission. And we had to create the concept, which is now known as automated manual transmission. Or automatic gear shift. So they have they have like a, a thing to push the clutch in, and they're shifting the gears in this car. Uh, all of it uh, run on on Ubuntu. Pretty cool, Noah. So it's a, it's like a five minute video, which I'm sure if we played any more, we'd probably get pulled down because they put music in there, and that's all it takes for the Python script over at Google to pull us down. Like it, like it does this. No, it's like oh, is that me? It just pulls you down. Search a hashtag a WTF. 
you on uh, YouTube if you want to know more, because I'm all fired up about it. Anyways, that is a super cool Runs Linux. Thank you for sending that into the show. And uh, I particularly like, A, running right there. It's it's like a custom, like you can see this thing is a kit, right? They've they've built this thing up, and uh, what I think is pretty neat about it is they did it with a manual. I don't think I've ever seen a self-driving car that has a manual transmission before. It's J&M is the guy who sent it in to us. So thank you, huge thank you for sending yes. it in. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. As X Metal is pointing out in the chat room, uh, we've literally gotten pulled down before uh, for playing a clip of myself uh, from YouTube. <laughs> Seriously, there was an episode where I said this is Coda Radio, and that got flagged on YouTube as uh, as copyrighted. Wow, so wow. It's, it's a pretty crappy system. I love this runs Linux. Uh, I'm watching a little more of it, and we'll put a link in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. So you can see why they needed a certain vehicle to get all this stuff to fit in there. Uh, but they, you know, this is obviously early days prototype stuff. This would they would ship anything like this. Uh, I, and from what I've seen, uh, India could use a few self-driving cars. I have seen some horrendous. He explains that. He explains that the inspiration for this actually came when he was uh, getting a ride home from the airport, and he said that his cab driver was so sleep-deprived that he was, like, weaving all over the road. Yeah, and dude. Here for a safety, and he's like, this is ridiculous. All I need is a car to get me from the airport back to my house. doesn't really have to be anything fancy, and there really doesn't have to be another human involved. I, I just need the car to come to me, and then even I could drive it home. And so that's actually what started him down there. Yeah. You know, imagine, the imagine a future, if you will, where, uh, you know, there's one vehicle for your family because uh, it takes you to work and then it comes back home and anybody else that needs it during the day can use it or something like that. I mean, yeah, that could be that could be really powerful. Hey, you know, before we go any further while I'm thinking about it, uh, speaking of giving credit, I just want to th- say thank you to... Uh, we had actually a couple of people end up helping us with our uh, picks page. So we put at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. Uh, we had a couple of people help because you just fork it on GitHub and update the list. And I think it was actually Eardrum's version that actually made it. Noah, tell me, do you remember the breakdown okay. on this? Because I don't. I, I, so basically, there's there's a gentleman, Andrew, that wrote into the show and said, I would like help uh, update. I would like to offer help updating the picks. And then I had, I had, we'd gone back and forth a couple iterations in email, and I ended up forwarding his contact to Rotten Corpse. And then Rotten I reached well, out. Right, okay, hold on, hold on. I just realized we probably don't need to spend more than 10 seconds on this because literally more, no more than like two people care. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> you know, I'll just say this. Suffice this to say, we lots, made of a, people <laughs> lots of people helped and we made a mistake. Uh, so thank you to everybody who did help submitting. Uh, and we do we would like to keep it current. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash LastPix. This is a good opportunity to mention at JupiterColony.com. Uh, there are resources to get involved in the, in the Jupiter Broadcasting dev community. There is actually, I, th- I think... A, uh, a, a even a chat room uh, on Geekshed dedicated to so if you end up helping out you can go in there and talk to people I think it's JB Dev I can't remember on, on Geekshed but there's information at JupiterColony.com so lesson learned and sorry if, if anybody got upset about that uh, okay sorry no not to cut you off then I was like you know we no, don't need to we don't need to go into a lot of detail because I was, I was gonna say I have ma- I, I went through and mapped all this out so yeah. I can yeah. quickly. Yeah, maybe we could we could cover it in the post show, no, or or something like that. I don't know. Hey, you know what I do know though? You know what I know passionately, Noah? Digital freaking ocean, digitalocean.com. Go check them out and use our promo code Last Digital. Last Digital give you a ten dollar credit. You can spin up a Linux rig for two months for free because they start at five dollars a month in fifty five seconds or less. You get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSDs, because they all SSDs, y'all. That's right, SSDs up in this biz, a blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Now, take a moment and picture it, Noah. You could have a data center in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. Or all of the above. Or all of the above. All running on Linux. 
your digital infrastructure up on DigitalOcean.com. It's actually pretty cool because two things that are really, really easy. Picking the distro you want with either a base bare OS or picking the, the distro you want or the application in some cases you want and deploying a stack that is totally ready to go. And it's not like some weird CMSed up, like, you know, you have to use their special repos and stuff. It's like, for example, when you deploy, this is my favorite one to do right now, Ubuntu 14.04 LTS, and which I can't wait to go to 16.04, but Ubuntu 14.04 LTS and Docker and Nginx, it's a whole stack ready to go. They pull in the Docker packages from the Docker repo. They've got the GPG keys in their sign, so you know you're getting, the, you're getting signed Docker packages from the Docker repo. You're not getting the stuff in the LTS repo, which is a common mistake people make when they're setting up Ubuntu, ready to go. Okay, so that's up on DigitalOcean. That, that's not too hard to set up. You could do that in 20 minutes yourself on a fresh install. But what's super nice about the DigitalOcean implementation is, if I ever just want to go back to basics, nuke and pave and start over and redeploy the Docker images or whatever, in seconds, I go back there, hit reload, saves all my DNS stuff, saves all my custom networking stuff, like a private networking, saves my backup schedules, all of that stuff, and then gives me a brand new fresh box, fully ready to go, super crazy fast. And they have Fedora, they have Debian, they have CentOS, they even have FreeBSD and CoreOS and a great interface to manage all of it, and a fantastic community section with really good tutorials. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this one on the show. Obviously, I've mentioned they have an Apache with Let's Encrypt how-to. Just walk you right through setting up HTTPS on Apache right there. How about this one, though? I don't know if we've mentioned this one on the show. How to use Ansible and TinkVPN. And TinkVPN is that mesh VPN client where you could have a TinkVPN server on your DigitalOcean droplet, a TinkVPN server on your workstation, and one on your laptop. And wherever you go, all of them will be on the same VPN LAN using Tink. And you can, this, is a, this is a guide to set it all up on a DigitalOcean system, deploying it with Ansible. Like, that is super cool. And they got all kinds of guides like that. It's really nice. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, get the $10 credit, and just try it out. See why Noah and I go there on the fly when we need to spin up some Linux infrastructure. I say it, and I mean it. Like, anytime I'm doing something, even if it's, even if it's like, well, I could kind of do this on my own box, I still will often go use the DigitalOcean droplet, because if you only use it for a couple hours, it's pennies. It's pennies, you know? So, uh, in fact, sometimes when I'm kind of just casual about something that I might want to keep running, it's, it's a better bet for me to put it on a DigitalOcean droplet than my own local machine, because sometimes I format these things at the drop of a hat. So, Noah, you and I, DigitalOcean bros, we have our, data, we have our droplets in the same data center. When, when I come to Seattle, we have to send data over, like, we have to send data from one, from yeah. your droplet to my droplet. Yeah. Just, maybe our, maybe our physical, maybe our droplets are even on the same physical KVM box. <gasps> that would be magical. I wonder if there's a way to figure that out. I don't I suppose, think so. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. We could get close if they're like in the same like IP block, maybe. Maybe. I just I like to I like to pretend like they're just chilling in a big digital yeah. ocean ocean, you know, just like an ocean yeah. out there. Pro, trade off. So promo code is supports this show and gives you the ten dollar credit. Maybe you can hang out with Noah and I, or you pick a data center somewhere else. I mean, we're not judging, just totally judging. Digitalocean.com. Use the promo code last digital. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Action Show. So this week, uh, we're going to talk a little about it in the news segment. Um, I actually, we can just pull it from the news and talk about it right now, I guess. Um, so this week, it came out via the Spotify forums that there's no one at Spotify actively working on the Spotify client. Hasn't been for a while. They've pushed something out after they've worked on it a little bit. And there's still some issues that remain. And 
they just were very honest about it that we don't really think there's enough people using it to make us want to do it. Plus, we've got this web version we're working on, and you know, HTML5 way of the future, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, the internet freaked out not once but twice about this in two on two separate news cycles. And uh, uh, what was your first reaction when you when you saw this news? No, because you're Honestly, you're you're a Spotify user, aren't you? I am. And here's the thing: this is not going to be real popular with the stand up for freedoms, go for desktop Linux. But here's here's my thought. My my thought was, I installed Spotify. Seems to work just fine for me. I can play my music. <laughs> I don't really care. Yeah. If it's, there's yeah. so many things are not under active development. I'm so happy to have a Spotify client at all for Linux that I don't care if, if as long as it works. I, I mean, yeah, there are some little quirks, but it, it works. Yeah. Like, I think it maybe what the people are more more miffed at is Spotify is a huge user of open source on the back end. Oh, you yeah. know, so it'd be kind yeah, of nice. In fact, the uh, the reason the Spotify client for Linux has really gotten any love is because internal Linux users at Spotify wanted to have a Spotify client. Here's the two things, Noah, that you you, you know you, you may may not know. Is there's certain like notification integration with the Linux desktop that's broken and causing issues for some people. Yep. And the second thing is is I'm more worried about future desktops. What about you know GNOME 3.30 uh, or Unity 8.5? There, where there's something that they need to update to really make it work, and there's nobody at Spotify to do it. So. Here's what you can do. You can keep using the web player. You can keep using Spotify. It works fine for you. Or if you want to try out another proprietary streaming music service that's being constantly cramped down your throat and you probably already have it, Google Play has a music service. And yesterday, a Linux desktop client, not official, was released for Google Play Music. Uh, right now, you can get it at googleplaymusicdesktopplayer.com. Probably get uh, cease and desist from Google eventually. It is a cross-platform desktop player for Google Play Music. It's open source, quote-unquote resource efficient. Uh, it, it uses the Electron framework, so up to you on that. Uh, it has media key support, play, pause, previous, next. It has last FM support, uh, desktop notification, a mini player, a customizable dark theme, HTML5 audio support, built-in audio equalizer, so if things sound common and normal for you. Uh, you can choose the audio output device from within the player, so you can have a separate audio output from you know, from within the player, which is kind of a nice feature for me actually, because that actually is something I use. Now here it is, Noah. I've installed it. Uh, the developer yesterday made a deb available for download, and uh, it looks exactly like the Google Play site because it's sort of that in, in an Electron wrapper. However, you you do get access to uh, the ability to set your sound card. You do get built-in desktop integration. There is a, a menu up here that I can right-click on and choose my audio device, or or uh, so it's built into my notifications panel. So it does actually end up being a uh, a, a native client, and it and uh, and so this is sort of new. Uh, but you can see right here, I'm pulling up Ronald Jenkins. As I always do, because they like that something doesn't get me pulled down. Uh, and I can uh, show mini player. Oh, I have to install that. Well, there is a mini player, but uh, it's if you use Google Music, this is a nice piece. Now, here's what I'll here's what I'll add. You can take this and combine it with the official Google Music Manager, which is available. We'll have it linked in the show notes from Google directly. And what's nice about the Google Music Manager is a It'll upload all your music if you want to Google, so you can stream the music that you have, regardless if they have it on their cloud service. You can just use their infrastructure to stream it to any of your devices. But here's the other thing it'll do. It'll allow you to download any music you've ever bought through Google Play or any music you've ever uploaded from any other computer to Google Play down to your computer. So the Google Play Music Manager sends music up 
and down. So this is a proprietary service ran by a headless corporation who primarily makes money off of advertising that is streaming you music to see so they can track what your tastes are and maybe make a few bucks a month. However, that being said, you can download all of the music from it using Google Play Music Manager, so you can get it offline if you ever want to bail out of it, which is kind of a nice feature. It's integrated in with the Linux desktop. This is being made by a third-party developer who has just recently announced support for Linux, and he's adding features instead of Spotify, which is stagnating. So you combine the uh, this Google Play desktop client, which gives you desktop-like functionality, with the Google Play Music Manager that allows you to upload and download songs, even songs you've bought. It's kind of a nice combo if you're going to be using a streaming service. What do you think, yeah. Noah? I think it's something worthwhile. I'll be honest with you, the the number one thing that I use Spotify for is the social aspect of. Um, yes, yes, yes. People, you know, people can add. So it's important to me. I, yes. it's, yeah, it, that's I how I find a lot of music. Yeah, and sharing right. playlists. And I, and, and I don't want to go out. And I like think Google Play Music has some of that. I I don't use Google Play Music. Uh, mm -hmm. I I've been intending to try it now that I have this, and Spotify's kind of being a jerk. Uh, and I just recently checked it out, and I was actually kind of impressed. I didn't expect to be impressed, and I was a little bit. So I'm going to try it. For me, music is uh, is not a super important thing. It's not really worth the SSD space. That's why I use streaming in this case. Mm -hmm. I don't like that any of these services use DRM, and if there was a service out there that had a great mobile client, had a good desktop client, and had a great music catalog, had social services, and was DRM-free, you mm -hmm. bet I'd pay for that. I absolutely would pay for that. In the meantime... This this kind of service is one of those where if I give to Google, if I give Google nine ninety nine, I try to give somewhere else. So, uh, like for example, like uh, I I, uh, I became an elementary OS patron. That's sort of like a give and a take. So if I subscribe to something I'm gonna, uh, that's closed and proprietary, I try to make up for it, hedge a little bit. So I hedge and I became a patron for the or not elementary OS for Ant Antigros. I was already an elementary OS patron. So Did now I'm an Antigros patron. That that uh, that, that uh, process then. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm trying it. I'm trying it. I feel like I, I feel like, hey, I'm going to do this because the last people I want to give my money to really are Google because I feel like yeah. they got enough oh, money I from. Know. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know what? With all of the hoopla around Spotify this week, I wanted to give people a solid Linux-supported alternative, and I like that you can combine the two programs to to get your music up there and to get your music down, which is nice too, man. Because if you wanted mm -hmm. to, it's kind of like a good backup because you can back up all your music up there and then you go load up a new machine and you just pull it all back down. That's what I do with this. Apollo, when I wanted to try out the speakers, I just pulled down some of my tracks from Google Play, put them in, a, in Rhythmbox, and good to go. <laughs> so it's, you can use it multiple ways. Okay. I want to talk about a project that we want to spotlight that isn't brand new. Is that, is that okay? Am I allowed to do that? I think so. Okay. Think I'm not sure what the rules are on this arbitrary segment that we set up well, years ago without any conversation. You set up the rules, so I think it's okay if you break the rules. If you technically you follow the lineage of the show, I inherited... The uh, the spotlight and the pick. Yeah, I do. Okay. I think so. All right. But anyways, All right. anyways. We'll let it slide this time. Thank you. Thank you. I, the, no yeah, we're good? Okay. All right. I just got Okay. I just got a message from the... Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I just got a message from the back office. They say we're good. It's okay. called VLMC, and it is the Videoland Movie Creator, a nonlinear editing software based on the VLC, uh, libvlc uh, runtime stuff for Windows, Linux, and the Mac stuff, and it's free software stuff. This is something you may or may not have known about. It's been around for a little while now. They promised to make a video editor around VLC. Hmm, interesting. Nice idea. Here's why I'm giving it a mention. It just got some stink behind it. That stink, Google. It's been accepted as a Google uh, Summer of Code project, and it's going to be getting some actual uh, funded development over the summer. 
for this video land based VLC based editor. So that's exciting because it's just sort of been hanging for a while. So uh, I'm hoping this results in some actual forward progress for this because it seems like libvlc would be a great fundamental underlying technology to base a video editor on since you already inherit so much stuff. Come on, no, give it to me. You're excited. Give it to me. Your yeah, reaction. I don't know. I, I just what? I just, like I, I I want I want so badly to 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 like all this of this stuff. But the the problem I have is I feel like every every little bit like we have another video editor that comes out, and meanwhile all the other video editors are still. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's editor. true. Yeah. And so I just if if we had like if we had like one one like super super solid like go to like this is what you use on Linux for video if we had if we had that then yeah. competition would be great because then it would continue to drive things forward but at the moment I feel no. like all we're doing is taking the people that that could be contributing valuable things and there are some video editors that do some things better and some that do another better and now we have Google that's going to back yet a third one that yes has correct that's how I feel about it you would be correct you would be absolutely <laughs> correct. All right, Noah, let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. No, everybody go to last.ting.com. Support this show by going to last.ting.com, but really, get yourself a discount. Ting is mobile that makes sense. They're on a mission, and they mean it. No crazy weird stuff. No like holdover buckets that you only qualify for for a certain amount of time. No weird like line items on your bill or any strange stuff like that. It's just your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. They add it up, and that's what you pay. It's a flat $6 for each line. So you want one line at $6 a month. You don't use that, you pay $6. Or you turn it off, you don't pay anything. Or you have like three lines at six for each one of them. It's not a big deal. It's super straightforward. You pay for what you use. Last.ting.com. They have CDMA and GSM networks. So if you have a Ting-compatible device, and you very well likely do, they'll give you $25 in service credit. Well, an average Ting line is going to cost you $24 a month for average usage. So if they're going to give you $25 in service credit and you bring your own phone, then your first month of Ting is, is like already paid for. That's pretty awesome. And if you ever get stuck or have any questions, they have fanatically good customer service, really good customer service, and they have an excellent online dashboard, which really has always been damn near completely sufficient for me. Just about every aspect you would expect, plus a bunch you wouldn't. Like, this is one thing I think is sort of undersold about Ting, is if you wanted to go grab one of their MiFi's, which I use for when I'm on the road trip, uh, I just turn it off when I'm not using it. And then I turn it on when I'm using it in the dashboard. That's, that's brilliant. That is super brilliant. And you can go grab a GSM SIM right now from their store. I did notice on the Ting blog, they have some sales going on right now. The S6, the Samsung Galaxy S6, is on sale, unlocked, no contract, $549. Also, one of the other nice things that I think you should include when you look at the price of these devices is not only do you own these, but uh, Ting isn't the kind of carrier that's going to delay the updates for six, seven, eight, nine months. They have really no issue. So when the carriers can get the update, when you get the updates out there, they're not a carrier that's going to stand in the way of that. So that's also a, sort of a value on these phones. Look at the LG Volt 2, though. $66. $66 for a nice Android phone with no contract, no early termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. $66. Last.ting.com. You can maybe even take some more off that. Go check them out. They got the S6 Black, too, and the S6 White. Those are nice phones. Of all the great phones. And of course, you can go get some crazy esoteric phones like Noah does, too. I wonder when you show up here for Linux Fest, are you going to have anything new? You're gonna, you're gonna, oh, do, yeah. do you plan well, sure. to get a new phone just for the trip? 
Sure, why not? Twenty dollars <laughs> off. I, I I just I forego one pizza and I can have a cell phone. It's like, and that provides me infinitely more fun than a pizza would. Yeah, you have found some great ones on eBay. So everybody go to last.ting.com, support this show, keep us on the air, let them know you appreciate them supporting our show, but also you can go check out more. They got the blog there, some good stuff for cord cutters recently, including how to watch live news, and the savings calculator, so you can put in your current usage compared to what you would save by switching to Ting. Last.ting.com. Big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Probably the number one story this week that has the widest... Um, sort of scope for our audience is the drown attack. And we don't need to spend a lot of time here because Mr. Jude went into some great detail in uh, in uh, Thursday's TechSnap. But it's a serious vulnerability that affects OpenSSL, SSL, TLS, HTTPS, and uh, pretty much anything that's using OpenSSL probably needs to get updated. Uh, and they indicate that 33% of all HTTPS servers that they uh, surveyed are uh, vulnerable to the attack. Um, uh, they say uh, 22% of all tr- all trusted sites, top 1 million domains, 25%. They have a check you can go uh, find out. But this allows for a man-in-the-middle kind of malicious attack, which is no good. Uh, and it is you are in much worse shape vulnerability-wise if you have one cert for multiple servers, like they, it's all the same domain on multiple servers, mm-hmm. uh, then they can they can pick at all those servers at once. And uh, yeah. Anyways, it comes back to having an old feature of OpenSSL enabled by default. Well, some distributions, in fact, many distributions, don't have this enabled by default anymore. That's why some distros are not affected by this. I mean, you do t- need to update still, and there could be some software that comes with statically linked versions of uh, OpenSSL that maybe have this vulnerability. Um, but for example, Fedora, over on Fedora Magazine, uh, they they went out and made a post to let everybody know Fedora is not drowning. Uh, because uh, essentially, starting with version 21 of Fedora back in July 2014, they disabled the default feature that uh, SSL2 is uh, is disabled, I guess. So they say here, if you, uh, if you run Fedora, we have good news. The attack requires SSL version 2, and we have disabled that for Fedora 21. Yeah, there you go. Hopefully... Uh, keeping us at least half a step ahead. We've also already disabled SSL version 3 as, as of Fedora 23. Uh, we're not using SSL v2 anywhere in the Fedora infrastructure. So some distros already have it disabled. It's, you know, it's been like this. It's been disabledable for years now. Uh, but I wanted to mention it not because it's, uh, it's something we're going to spend a lot of time on this episode, but just because I wanted to make you aware of it so you guys could go patch. And I would recommend Alan's breakdown where he basically scrapped two news stories and just did one huge takedown on this and some really interesting details in it. If you want to catch that, go look at the TechSnap show, just last week's episode from the one that came out on Thursday. Uh, Noah, have you gotten around to patching? Do a patch yep. address. Yeah, well, we we, uh, we have a, a schedule that we go through and, and update all that stuff. And so when it came out, you know, we kind of looked at it and made sure that everything was up to date, but um, it, it had already been taken care of. Good man. Good man. Uh, just for clarification's sake, if you are curious, it was uh, TechSnap 256, Open Server Sadness Layer where we went in detail, and uh, it did a much better justice than we could, so I figured we'll just leave it at that. Okay, so this story I thought was particularly interesting, not so much because it's going to be surprising to any of us who've been around for a while, but because of who wrote it. Uh, this is this is really something here. Uh, just before we start, I should tell you, Tim Sweeney is the co-founder uh, and U.S.-backed developer of Epic Games, uh, which is the creator of Gears of War for the Xbox on PC, and, you know, sold over 20 million units. Uh, so, Epic Games, 
creators of, you know, a game like Gears of War that is one of Microsoft's biggest franchises now in gaming. He wrote an opinion piece over on The Guardian in their uh, technology game section. It's not even in the opinion section. It's in the technology section of The Guardian. And uh, he writes, Microsoft wants to monopolize game development on PCs, and we must fight it. No. They're looking to dominate the game industry ecosystem with its, with its aggressive new WMP initiative. Developers must oppose this or else control of their titles falls to Microsoft. So he goes on, with their new Universal Windows Platform initiative, Microsoft has built a closed platform within a platform into Windows 10 as the first apparent step towards locking down the consumer PC ecosystem and monopolizing app distribution and commerce. This, uh, This isn't like that. Here, Microsoft is moving against the entire PC industry. He says, that's what you might be familiar with, but here it's even worse. You're moving against the entire PC industry, including consumers, software developers, such as Epic Games, publishers like EA and Activision, and distributors like Valve and Good Old Games. Microsoft has launched a new PC Windows features exclusively in WP, and it's effectively telling developers you can only use these new features if you submit to the control of our locked-down UWP ecosystem. They're curtailing users' freedom to install full-featured PC software and subverting the rights of developers and publishers to maintain a direct relationship with their consumers. Again, from the guy behind Epic Games, right? Uh, The specific problem here is that Microsoft's shiny new universal Windows platform is locked down, and by default, it is impossible to download UWP apps from the website of publishers and developers to install them, update them, and to conduct commerce in them outside of the Windows Store. Um, He goes on to say, as a founder of a major Windows game developer and technology supplier, this is an op-ed I hoped I would never feel compelled to write. This day has been approaching for over 18 months. He's been working with Microsoft, right? They have been working behind the scenes with Microsoft for over 18 months. Microsoft intentions must be judged by Microsoft's actions, not Microsoft's words. Their actions speak plainly enough. They are working to turn today's open PC ecosystem into a closed Microsoft-controlled distribution and commerce monopoly over time in a series of steps which we are seeing for the very first. Unless Microsoft changes course, all of the independent companies comprising the PC ecosystems have decisions to make. To oppose this, or to cede control of their existing customer relationship and commerce to Microsoft's exclusive control. Tim Sweeney, co-founder of Epic Games. He's saying Microsoft's on a rampage here. They're going to make like an Xbox out of the PC, basically. Yes, they are. And I don't think we should fight them one little bit. Not a little bit. Okay. I we should let them have it. Here, here's the thing. They are they are making their bed and they are doing a beautiful job of doing it. Just why would why would you want to fight to stay involved with a company that doesn't want you there to begin with? There is an entire other ecosystem that will will gladly w- welcome these app developers with open arms, and they'll never have to worry about getting this rug pulled out. From what under- if the issue, Noah, is Microsoft still has a massive stranglehold on the gaming market sure. on the PC? DirectX Absolutely. is, and plus the Xbox is a very attractive, lucrative platform. Yes, it is. So, but the gamers are going to go where the games are available. Yeah, but what if these components are enough for Microsoft to to hold on to what that that grasp that they have now? Like they could this is essentially them moting around with the the remaining territory that they have and mm-hmm. and establishing like a, a wall around that saying this is a very high wall. It's very it's a great wall. It's huge. Yep. 
and you can't yep. come over this wall anymore. If you want to, you can yep. come through our you can come through our door. We're going to have a yep. process for mm-hmm. your games to to come into our system, and you can come through that door, and we'll we'll vet it, and we'll put it on the market, sort mm-hmm. of like a mobile system. So there's essentially they want to take the mobile approach to uh, the PC yep. gaming system. Yeah, I get all that. I just I just I I would just I would respectfully submit to you that the best move here, the the only move here is to stay outside of that door and and and, and dig your heels into the ground and say we are we're not coming through here. That's it. Because you think problem. developers natural reaction will be well, SteamOS. Well, I don't know if that was ne- I'm not I'm not necessarily convinced that that's what they necessarily want to do, but I definitely think you know, and I, granted I'm a little biased, I definitely think that's the smart move to make is to move over to an open ecosystem where you're where you're going to have tons of support. And the reality is, you know, you the, the 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 only real concern here and you put it pretty eloquently is that you do run the risk of losing your customers, right? But I don't think that's actually as realistic of a concern as as, as it somewhat seems on, on the face of it. And that's because I think ultimately gamers are going to go where the games are. And so if the developer moves to a different ecosystem and says, this game is is over here and, and this is how we run it now and this is what we're doing, I think gamers are, I don't think they care what operating system they use. They just want to play their games. Yeah. And, so and here's here's where if I was going to have a crystal ball, I would look, I would look in that crystal ball Ball, and I would I would look into the past and the future. No, not just a one-way crystal ball. These mm-hmm. are some insightful balls. And I would go both ways. And what I would see is everything Microsoft has done recently that is brand Windows, from phones to mostly tablets to that whole category of stuff, consumers don't really want the Windows brand anymore. I think Windows no. has been I think Windows has been properly associated with complex. Slow over time, malware, and oh. work, and mm-hmm. I, I think that people don't really want that anymore. And SteamOS right. has this promise of really simple. It's a it's a simple OS you plug into your TV, and now you can play video games. And then, of course, all of us know it's actually like a badass Linux system. Uh, I spent so the majority of the last week playing a ton of Counter Strike on a core i3 laptop. With no, with no, with integrated graphics, and the only reason I was able to do that was because of Steam streaming, and 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 oh. and the things that have taken off from SteamOS, and not necessarily SteamOS, because you know you could run Steam on Windows, and then they could have still had Steam streaming, but all of this kind of came about yeah. at the same time. The, the the point is that I have taken I have taken advantage of the things that Valve has done, and it has made gaming for me way simpler because no mm-hmm. longer do I have to go down to the gaming machine and sit down and play on the gaming rig with the gaming G-Sync monitor and the gaming video card and all that crap. And so if you apply that same logic to just, I want to play these games, this is the game I want, and I can go out to GameStop and buy this box that comes pre-installed and all I do is all I do is turn the button on I can still play with my keyboard and mouse because that's the way that us PC gamers like to do it elite wise and I click on the game I want and it downloads and it's just there and it works okay all right elite gamer you know I got a steam link here in the studio that we need to hook up when you're out here for Linux Fest okay got a steam link here hook up that hook up that steam link hook it up all right so speaking of things you can hook up Thunderbolt 3 is something you haven't really been able to hook up to your Linux box but Dell might be changing that I don't really know what all chips that this is going to apply to at this stage, but uh, Dell, as part of their uh, you know uh, XPS 13 Developer Edition laptop, what a great way to market your new Linux-based laptop is is this. No better way to market a, a laptop for Linux than doing something like this. Uh, and so this uh, is something that I guess has not really been fully available on Linux. And I'll be honest with you, even as somebody who has several Thunderbolt uh, devices, mm-hmm. I I've never tried to hook it up to a Linux box before, unless. 
you know, maybe uh, maybe when trying Linux on a MacBook at some point, I, I can't I can't even really remember that though. And I think it worked then, but this could be great because it's going upstream and it's going to mm-hmm. support both data and video. Noah, I'm excited about right. that. I, I am, and so I have had the opportunity to, to see f- two 4K monitors that have been linked uh, through, um, oh, through. Oh, oh, oh! I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a dummy. This yeah. is Thunderbolt number three. That's why. This is Thunderbolt three, and that, yes, that would be a new thing. Thunderbolt, okay, yes, Thunderbolt's working. That makes sense. So, yeah, sorry, yeah, you can do you can do uh, serious video resolutions with Thunderbolt. That's a huge reason to use Thunderbolt, and, you know, the connector is, I think, pretty cross-platform, pretty easy. Yeah, so I have seen, I have seen what's happened when you try to plug two displays, and I don't understand it, the entire underpinnings of this to explain why this works this way, but I have watched a guy tried to plug in two displays to two different uh, uh, display jacks on on his laptop and it was it was crawlingly slow and then he used the uh, the lightning um link where you it basically daisy chains two monitors together and two 4K monitor 5K monitors actually no problem it was it was super yeah as uh, arch russian uh, is pointed out in the chat room uh so it's it's like using display link in the cable and it can send over mm-hmm. i think there's like two runs of it or something in there so you can send two display link connections or maybe that that might be something new with thunderbolt 3 but anyway so you've got intel and dell i mean credit also goes to intel they're upstreaming their thunderbolt code as well it's not just mm-hmm. dell working on this um but uh it is it is it is good to see as this stuff as this as this, because when I first saw saw this, story, I'm like, "What is going on here, Thunderbolt?" But when I when you get down below, you realize I realize it's Thunderbolt three. Um, I don't know, Noah. You know, this is going to be a really freaking good time for Linux laptops. Yeah, um, yeah, no kidding. And uh, System seventy six is hiring a kernel developer right now as well. So I would imagine they're going to be working on stuff in the near future too. And all of that stuff going upstream is just great for Linux users. You know, I'm doing this show right now from the Apollo. I've been running Ubuntu Mate uh, 15.10 still. I'm enjoying it. Like I've actually been enjoying it. It's a really mm-hmm. what I find about the Apollo. Um, at the end of the day, when I'm all done working, is like I'm in the studio and all the lights are off, and I look back at it. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want to just leave it there. I want to bring it home with me. Like it's yeah. one of those things you want to, you know, it's like that toy you want to bring with you. It's it's yeah. a really nice machine. Uh, so that's been really cool. Uh, so yeah, an Ubuntu Mate 15.10 has been working pretty solid. Uh, and I'm and good on Dell for bringing a good old Thunderbolt 3 to the Linux, and good on Intel for getting that up on the upstreams, making it so that way uh, more and more machines be able to use it, not just people who buy the Dell laptops, which I think is probably the big story there. All right, there you go. If you'd like to submit stories to the Linux Action Show, do so at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. You can also upvote and comment there on that there subreddit. And that's all the news for this week. This week, a super important new device shipped. More important than maybe some of us realized at first, the Raspberry Pi 3, a $35 computer, now 64-bit. We're going to tell you about this device, some of the things out there in the world that may just be shipping, embedded, or built around this device, and Noah and my impressions of using it, and kind of some of the things we got to do with it. Um, So stay tuned. It's actually a pretty fascinating discussion about a pretty important device. We're also going to talk about some of the other 64-bit devices that are similar for maybe just a couple of dollars more. But first, I want to tell you about our segment sponsor, and that is Linux Academy. Linux Academy is a platform designed by professionals and Linux enthusiasts who wanted to make a way for others to learn more about Linux, to spread the use of Linux, and they built the Linux Academy platform. 2,323 videos to obtain the experience you need to learn and practice on lab servers provided by Linux Academy. You can master the concepts. They have self-paced courses. They have instructor help, scenario-based labs. I want to say it again, instructor help graded server exercises, 
it's pretty cool to get messages from you guys. Uh, I got one just over the weekend. I had a, essentially, and I don't remember the details. I'm sorry, I forgot your name. But the guy basically said, Linux firewalls was a concept for me that was terrifying. I've been using Linux for a long time. I don't know much about networking. And the idea of firewalls without a GUI scared the crap out of me. Essentially what he said. I don't think he probably said it exactly like that. Uh, not a problem anymore. Go to Linux Academy. There's great courseware on that. They have courseware you can set where your availability is. And they'll automatically adjust based on that. They have nuggets where you can just go and do a deep dive on a single topic, like setting up a firewall. Practice exams. Detailed notes. Enhanced learning plans. And feedback as you go. SSH into servers as they spin them up on demand. Seven plus Linux distributions to choose from. This is a great platform to learn more. And it's really neat to see people passing their courses all the time. And they have a great community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. Just go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and take advantage of our special unplugged discount. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We brought the unplugged discount over to the Linux Action Show audience because it's a super great discount. And it supports the show, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So Noah and I uh, both thought the Raspberry Pi 3 would be worth talking about on the show. It's a pretty slick device, all things considered, for 35 bucks. And there's a cool uh, video that Element 14, some of the manufacturing partners, uh, put out to talk about it. So I'll play a little bit of it and talk about it. Uh, probably the big headline feature is it's got built-in uh, Wi-Fi, 802.11 and 2.4 gigahertz, and Bluetooth. Uh, Bluetooth isn't... 100% up and running yet. It's got a 64-bit quad-core processor. It is shipping with a 32-bit OS at the moment. Has full-size HDMI out. Uh, the Wi-Fi, uh, they, the Wi-Fi is on uh, a separate USB controller than the USB bus, which is also potentially going to mean better performance when accessing Wi-Fi and writing to your SD card. Still, an SD reader built into this thing. It is uh, right here. I got it right here. I actually got it. Uh, right here, but the problem is that, is that it, it keys out, so I can't really show you. But you've got it there, Noah. We've had I a do. chance, yeah, we've had a chance to play with our Raspberry Pi 3s. And I think one of the things that I took away when looking into Raspberry, it's the Raspberry Pi Foundation, uh, all of the accessories around it, which we'll talk more about, and uh, all of that is it's really become like the go-to thing to build a product around, to build kit around. Um, and it's really... There's more and more things out there that are Raspberry Pi powered. And so I thought this would be a great chance to talk to somebody like Ryan. So Ryan is going to be joining us from the Mycroft project. Mycroft has been doing uh, a open source sort of, if you're familiar with Amazon Echo style personal assistant, but something that does much more open code, open learning system. We recently talked about the intent system they've picked up. And now it looks like the Mycroft project is looking at the Raspberry Pi 3 as a possible piece of hardware to build the pie around. So Ryan, unmute yourself and uh, come on the show. He's joining us right now uh, via the power Hi. of uh, remote video. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the Linux Action Show. And uh, how the heck is the Mycroft project doing? Oh, my goodness, Chris. It is doing fantastically. Um, <laughs> yeah, had, fantastically, huh? <laughs> we, yeah, we have had a lot of really, really good opportunities um, come our way. Uh, we've had so much community involvement here recently. Uh, I really just can't say enough about how quickly the project has grown and how well it's doing. Um, we recently got accepted into uh, uh, the Sprint Accelerator powered by Techstars, uh, which we can talk about here in a little bit. Sure. But it's just been fantastic. So fantastic. have you been, I imagine then you've been pretty super busy. Uh, you managed <laughs> to put out some videos recently though, and you guys also still put out an update about the Raspberry Pi 3. 
Uh, so I guess for a little history for people who don't know, the, the Mycroft project, could you just super quick like elevator pitch what it is and then how you currently are using the Raspberry Pi? Sure. The, the Mycroft project is uh, an open source uh, artificial intelligence platform uh, that you can really use anywhere to voice enable anything. And so uh, think the uh, Star Trek computer uh, and think about being able to place that in any device. Uh, so recently uh, we were on Kickstarter. Well, not so recently now, um, but in September we went to Kickstarter. We raised uh, approximately $127,000, I think, on Kickstarter. And then we went on to raise an additional uh, uh, $20,000 on uh, Indiegogo. Uh, through our pre-order system, so you can still get a pre you can still pre-order Mycroft on uh, Indiegogo, um, and we are uh, trying our hardest. Uh, and it looks like right now we are on track to hit our delivery dates. So um, wow, congratulations! Were, yeah, there were people who ordered the uh, developer kit, uh, which ships in April. So we're right now we're in super crazy dev mode trying to make sure that uh, everything's ready to go in april that's also when the mycroft client source code will be released and so at that point people will be able to um, play around with it mm -hmm. uh, put it on their own hardware this is sort of the this is sort of the interesting thing right is we're talking about a mycroft device we're talking about something that could be powered by raspberry pi but mycroft is just as much software so i could run mycroft on my own device anything i want right it could be a laptop it could be a different arm device it could be a piece of toaster that runs a, has a motherboard right i mean correct that's kind of the correct. Cool thing. everything everything's written in python uh, so really, you just need the ability to run Python on the device, and you're good to go. And uh, that is where I see the most powerful part of Mycroft. The uh, the device is super awesome. We're, we're, we've been finishing that up. We've been making what we consider to be the final prototypes. Uh, and, they, and it is so just, it's such a neat piece of tech to have in your house. But I consider that a uh, developer platform. So a, a good known hardware configuration to be able to develop against. But uh, but I really would love to see the community put Mycroft in in all sorts of devices, uh, including including your phone or your laptop hmm. or uh, a Raspberry Pi running an articulating spider legged yes, uh, of course robot. With, with, <laughs> what could go wrong <laughs> there? What could go wrong? Yeah. Uh, so right now, Raspberry Pi. Two is in the mix for testing and development. Uh, probably the first models will ship with a Raspberry Pi inside them. Yeah, they absolutely will. And will that be a Raspberry Pi two? Okay. Uh, well, maybe we are testing the Raspberry Pi three. We immediately, when the announcement came out, uh, everybody went through and purchased one under their own name so that we could get them because you can't like bulk purchase them right now. Yeah. And uh, so we're getting those. Uh, we're testing them. I think a couple of them may have already arrived at the office. I've been working 18-hour days all over the place, and so I've been, had a hard time keeping up with every member of the team. But uh, we're we're trying our hardest to get them in the uh, the dev kits that are shipping out in April. But if that doesn't work, 
uh, we're certainly going to try our hardest to get those into the units that are going out in July. You know, uh, Ryan, your story there is echoing a story that I'm hearing across the board. Uh, everybody is buying these right now that is doing this type of uh, development for, for systems like these, um, including, uh, and I, I, I'm sure you probably are aware of this because you guys are going to be using Snappy for Mycroft. The Ubuntu Snappy team is, uh, they're ordering these to get them in-house to start developing for them so that way they can get Ubuntu Snappy working on it. Uh, I've heard from guys that are building a uh, image kit for your house. You put an image on here and it turns it essentially into a Bluetooth powered speaker system or remote video cast system, and they just want to have an SD image. They're they're re, and they're, they're basing on Ubuntu Snappy. They're retooling right now while they wait for Snappy to get up to date. But once they have uh, once they have Snappy working, um, they're going to start using the Raspberry Pi three for that. And so there's a yeah, couple of different projects that are sort of scrambling right now to get devices in, but that also means a whole bunch of support's going to be coming soon. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that we're we're kind of uh, waiting on. We're going to start working with the Snappy team to see if we can't accelerate that process with the Raspberry Pi three. Um, we love, you know, we're trying to make sure that we ship uh, with a current version of Snappy running on a current, the current Raspberry Pi, uh, and hopefully we're successful in doing that. Um, we are open source enthusiasts and makers, just like a lot of your audience. And so we're trying to give everyone who backed us the most up-to-date, most awesome tech possible. Cool. And uh, so we're, we're the, out there, the we're doing it, we're is the, the built-in wireless must be an advantage for the Mycroft, right? Having built-in Bluetooth and 802.11n is got to be nice for you guys because it must cut cost a bit and maybe make things sl- simpler. Yeah, it... it uh, it made us very happy on the uh, spreadsheet whenever we saw that we could shave. <laughs> yeah, because it's the same price for the, for the for the yeah. yeah yeah and it seems availability's been good too. Well, Ryan, I know maybe there's some other things you want to update us about the Mycroft project. We could uh, we could go on a tangent a bit before we wrap up our thoughts on on Raspberry Pi three. Uh, any other sort of Mycroft updates you want to chat with us about? Yes, I do. Um, so earlier you guys were talking about uh, the Windows platform and about the Gears of War uh, guy. Yeah, they're UM. Uh, yeah, they're, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's the Gears yeah. of War guy who was saying, it's lock-in, it's lock-in. So uh, because we're in an accelerator, we've been talking to um, lots of folks who uh, are already in uh, successful businesses that are looking at how to to help you know, uh, us move our business forward and, and extend Mycroft and make it, you know, uh, maybe get it into other devices uh, that you may already know about. One of those would be like a, a Bluetooth speaker. So uh, if you look at the Amazon Echo, you have to be thinking like with the new Echo Dot, there are yes. other speaker companies yes. that are like, holy crap, uh, a $90 Echo co- uh, competes against our Bluetooth speakers. Right. And, so, and they um, need some tech to compete with that. We're hoping to reach out to as many of them as possible. So if anybody in your audience worked at one of those companies as an engineer there and wants to voice enable those speakers, I'd love to talk to them. Yeah, no kidding. uh, What a great opportunity. Yeah, but we're really hoping to help um, companies like that that are directly competing against Amazon and their ecosystem in in that device to voice enable those devices. Um, And so one thing that I wanted to point out is what's happening in this space is the same thing that's happened in the phone space, the same thing that's happened in uh, in the gaming space. The and lockdown ecosystem? Yeah, that's, that's 100% correct. And uh, it got me thinking, because I've been thinking a lot about this past week, if uh, we as a community and we as a, a technology enthusiasts don't really get out there and lobby on behalf of neutral platforms that don't lock you in, 
uh, we're gonna li- we're just gonna be <laughs> stuck in a walled garden. And uh, some walled gardens may be slightly better than others, but right. uh, it's gonna happen. Yeah, and- that that sealed hood analogy we've been making for years is is actually gonna come true. Yeah, you know, and so uh, recently, uh, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the with the Amazon Echo, but the only way to order the Amazon Echo Dot at launch was to order it through an Amazon Echo. Yeah, or uh, a Fire TV using voice. Yeah, and so the the thing is uh, that that's really interesting. Uh, it are, it kind of highlights the fact that that these products are really not products they're they're a bridge to uh the core business of these companies so Mm -hmm. um they're trying to filter you in to their ecosystem and get you to purchase more stuff uh and so what we're trying to or in google's case maybe sell ads to you or or sell your information uh in amazon's case or yeah in amazon's case they're trying to sell you products and in apple's case they're trying to sell you products um fortunately they've been they've been good about um, kind of protecting their use of privacy, but of course they're skinning you on, on the cost of the device. Right. They're selling you the next, they're selling you the next device always. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, what I wanted to, to tell your audience is as we prepare for our release, uh, we really could use the continued support of your audience and, and the open source community. I kind of view us as the Switzerland of intelligent personal assistance. (laughs) And, uh, and I hope that, uh, that, people will recognize the value in having a company that doesn't have a strategy tax yeah. associated with yeah. uh, trying to sell products to you or trying to sell your information, but actually just right. trying to do I've also, know, I also think uh, one of the things that's really great about Mycroft is uh, two things you guys are doing is you're pulling in a lot of outside expertise like you did with the Intent Engine recently. You know, somebody just built some amazing code out there. So instead of reinventing the wheel, you're taking something that's just great and you're bringing it in-house and, and incorporating it in with the, with the product. Uh, but the other thing that uh, I think people maybe are misunderstanding, and it's just really great to look at, a lot of times when it comes to things like VR or video production or gaming um, or some sort of interesting proprietary product uh, platform development like pinch to zoom or or Siri, a lot of times Linux is not the first desktop operating system or platform shipping with those features. In fact, a lot of times Linux is playing catch up and we have a lot of open source projects that are playing catch up and it's a common thing. Every now and then, though, the innovation truly starts here, or is is and I think it, with all of the digital assistants out right out right now, it's such the beginning game right now. And here we have an open source project for an open source platform, or it could run on a proprietary platform too, but something that is open source and it is truly cutting edge, truly flexible, usable in all different kinds of scenarios. Open source first, and that I think is extremely exciting about Mycroft because, like VR and other developing platforms and emerging uh, platforms out there, this. This is an extremely important one, and open source is front and center on this one. So that's huge for Mycroft, too. Another reason to support it, in my estimation. Yeah. Let's talk about the history of computing, because I think that's really important. And you, when, when computing was just coming of age and, and really starting to get mind share, uh, you had to learn the language of the computer. Whether you were feeding, you know, these papers with the punch uh, cards into the computer, or you were learning some, you know, archaic syntax in order to talk the computer's language, like you were, the onus was on you to be able to communicate with the computer. 
And then uh, one of our biggest innovations is this idea that you point and kind of grunt and things happen. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like mind blowing, you know, Xerox came up with it and Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates kind of brought it to the, to consumers. But the, but that's been like the biggest change in in interfacing with computers in you know, the last 30 years. One thing when you use these, uh, uh, like things like Alexa, or maybe hopefully Mycroft, is you realize this interaction is a whole new, uh, it's a whole new UI paradigm. It's just not a visual one. There is yeah. a very, there is very much a, a, a user interaction model for a voice driven interface. And when you get it right, it's really something. And, and yeah, there's it, a lot of parts to that. You're, you're talking, and, and so that final stage, or, or, or not the final stage, but the next stage, uh, for for us, from our point of view, is is that the computer speaks your language, whether or not that's that's actual like speech or just natural language processing in an intelligent way, to where you you I can see. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who also runs a, uh, a artificial intelligence company, and we were talking about uh, how he. I, I told him that I wanted to create a um, terminal emulator that you could, or a shell, a terminal shell, that you could type in natural language and have it do things. So instead of saying MV, you know, this file to this directory, you could say, uh, I want to move this file here. Yeah. And have it do that. So there's not, it doesn't even have to be necessarily the the voice side of it, but just the natural language processing, the computer's ability to understand what it is that you want. Which is just one of the techs involved here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Ryan, I want to bring it back to the Raspberry Pi uh, in just uh, in just a sec. Uh, um, well, actually, why don't we why don't we talk about this for just while we're talking about this? So talking about building on a new something like this, how how would you have done this if something like the Raspberry Pi didn't exist? And I think, and I want to ask you to make sure if I'm getting this right. Part of the appeal of the Raspberry Pi isn't that it's thirty five dollars or that it has some of these some of these accessories. Those are all basics, but also the fact that it's Mass producible. Uh, it is a reliable in the sense of it's a product. It's a it's a known good quantity. You know, you could order a thousand of them and get a likely a thousand working Raspberry Pis. Uh, and also, it's a it's a known good, so people understand how they work. They know how to tinker with them. They'll know how to extend your platform just because you're using something so commonly known. And isn't that starting to become maybe part of the real appeal to the Raspberry Pi? Is all of the things that come with it? And is that why Mycroft is using it? Yes, yes, yes. Um, How would you have done it without times. Raspberry Pi, do you suppose? Well, we we fortunately have an engineer who can do custom boards, but what we wanted was to allow people to get in and uh, and change the platform and extend the platform and, and really uh, push the limits of what you could do with Mycroft. And so uh, we it was a very conscious decision on our part to say, Hey, if we choose the Raspberry Pi, honestly, we pay more than we would for a dedicated board mm-hmm. that's okay. custom made only to run Mycroft, you huh. know, and it's like, cause you can order those from China, you know, uh, very, very cheap. Well, that makes um, sense. But then you lose the ability for makers to be able to extend the hardware. And we love the idea of exposing, you know, these, these different uh, interfaces from the Raspberry Pi, be it the USB or the serial ports or whatever, in order to allow people to hook it up to a robot, to hook it up to, I, you know, I, it doesn't really matter what we don't, and we don't want to limit people. Just get this, get this hardware, 
and be able to do whatever it is that you want with it. And we benefit from that from, you know, we get to look at those and say, hey, this is a use case that we had never imagined. And now somebody's done it. Uh, is there something that we can build upon here? Is there something that hmm. we can extend in this space? Um, so it's it was, there are so many good things about the Raspberry Pi and these other um, really cheap uh, chips that have a lot of uh, big communities around them that go beyond just the cost. Sort of like a built-in benefit, yeah. Well, Ryan, uh, uh, you know, I, you know, we should have a whole nother episode where we should talk about some of this stuff. I think we could go on for a whole nother show. If you're going to be out here for Linux Fest Northwest, I'll buy you a beer and we could do it in person. But otherwise, we should just we should call up and because uh, I know I'd like to get I, I know Noah would love to jump on this too. Why don't we sort of wrap up our chat and then we'll, and then Noah and I are going to get back to the Raspberry Pi. Why don't we wrap up the chat with you? Sort of dropped a hint a couple of times about uh, this new accelerator backed by Sprint. Yeah. <clears throat> is this a good thing? Are you guys going to be like all corporate now, or is this like uh, like sort of the secret weapon that might actually bring this thing to market? I don't know that we can be corporate. Like I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that we we have that in us. I mean, it's a but we we definitely uh, love that that TechStars, which is the one of the premier accelerators in the U.S., probably the premier accelerator in the U.S., recognized value in an open source platform like ours. And uh, and invested in us, and then uh, and then Sprint is an enormous partner. Uh, as you can imagine, they they bring more than just resources to the table. They bring expertise and speech to text and other voice technologies that are really really useful and really really interesting. And uh, you know these these big telecoms get a bad rap, but but at Sprint, you know they've they're really thinking hard about the future and and about. Uh, they have a deal, you know, with Radio Shack. Uh, Radio Shack fell in some hard times, and they reached in, and, and they're helping them out. And so they uh, they're starting to uh, engage with makers, which is a big thing, you know, for the Minecraft team as well. That's cool. Yeah. And so and so we're we're really happy to to have them interested in what we're doing. I will do some uh, some reading on that. Well, also, I just want to thank you before you go. For, I'm gonna, I'll play a video about it too, uh, just to just give people a quick uh, recap. But Ryan, before you go, I just want to say thanks for joining us on Linux Unplugged from time to time. We've talked more uh, with Ryan about this stuff there. Oh yeah, go ahead. Can I give a, Can I give a shout out? Sure. I, I I always like to thank community members who are doing awesome things. Yeah, in man, that's great. And this is an excellent way to do that. So um, I just wanted to thank uh, Manuel Kell, uh, the author of the Go For It app. He's been helping uh, test the the code and helping document it before it goes live. Nathan Dyer, who's uh, author of the Vocal Podcasting app and the Birdie Twitter client. Yeah. On Elementary, he's been helping as well. Nicholas Peterson, he works on the Mimic project. Uh, Forceland, who also works on the Mimic project, and Matthew Schofield, who uh, has worked on some Solus apps and has been helping out with with documentation and testing as well. And uh, and I just wanted to give each of them a shout out. Yeah. So if they're listening, they can hear their name and feel and happy. Collectively, they've all <laughs> unlocked. There they go. Officially, the winning jingle from the Linux Action Show. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm going to play a little bit of your, you have a quick video here about uh, Techstar, so I'll let people see that yeah. as, as you depart, and then uh, we'll bring Noah back in. But congratulations, everything, and uh, let's chat soon. I think we have much more to talk about. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Have All right, a great so day. Have a good rest of your Sunday. Mycroft AI is happy to announce that we have accepted an invitation to join the Sprint Accelerator powered by Techstars. Techstars is the world premier startup accelerator network. 
The Techstars program has helped more than 650 companies raise an average of $3.2 million in capital. 90% of these companies are still active or have been acquired. A stunning success rate in the high-risk world of technology startups. Here at Mycroft, we're excited to be working with Techstars to create the world's first open-source artificial intelligence. We are confident that with the help of Sprint, Techstars, and our open-source community, we can make Mycroft an AI for everyone. Pretty cool. <clears throat> so. I wanted to chat with Ryan because it kind of gives you an idea of a pretty innovative product that is kind of being made possible because of the Raspberry Pi. And I know that was a long sort of a tangent, but it kind of, I hope, illustrates what I think is sort of the relevance and importance of the Raspberry Pi. Uh, so, sure. that said, now I think we'll share our impressions of it. Noah and I, we should both give mention to the fact that uh, we decided kind of late in the week to order this. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I think we both Noah ordered via... Better than Chris. Huh? Noah primed better than Chris. Yeah, well, I, I <laughs> turns out, actually, I got mine uh, a day earlier than I expected, too. Oh, he yeah. didn't prime better than you. No, we primed the same. I just They just oh. gave me a, a bogus uh, estimated uh, shipping day. So I got an extra day with it, which was really cool. Um, and it was really nice because I talked to Wimpy on Linux Unplugged, so he kind of prepped me for a few things, too. So I already had mm -hmm. Ubuntu Mate uh, ready to go and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I have, uh, for just comparison, it's, it doesn't work so good on the video, but... <clears throat> I guess just for comparisons, well, how can I show this, Noah? Here's my phone. You have, uh, oh, oh, well, that's an interesting comparison. So you have the, what, yeah, okay, so there's a Galaxy compared to the. Galaxy S6. And so it, I mean, as you can see, it, it's it's a pretty small device. I mean, it, you know, if I put it over my hand, too, that's that's another great way. I mean, it, it's tiny. Um, if I tilt it. So here, I'll, and here, I'll show, the, I'll pull up the drone cam. I'll, I have this, too, even though most people are listening. Mm -hmm. But So here is, this is, the two boards are just basically identical. I have the Raspberry Pi 2 and 3 here in my hand, and there's, there's like, no, there's no telling them apart. Uh, they are essentially the same. If you actually look at the boards, one mm -hmm. quick, <clears throat> one quick way to tell is the Raspberry Pi 3 has a really small antenna uh, right here. And that's how you, uh, right next to the GPIO ports, that's how you know a Raspberry Pi 3. That's the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth antenna right there. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with your impressions, Noah. This uh, has a much faster, higher clocked processor. It's essentially the same CPU and GPU, but clocked right. at a much higher rate. Um, <clears throat> I think it's, let me see, I have all the deets, I have all the details in the show notes, you guys. So if you are curious about the uh, accessories available and whatnot that's in there. But they say, they report, the Raspberry Pi Foundation says it's roughly 50% faster than the Pi 2. It's a 1.2 gigahertz quad core ARM Cortex A53. It's a ARM V6 instruction set. Uh, it has the uh, video core processor running at 400 megahertz now and one gigabyte of RAM still. Four USB ports. So, uh, yeah, Noah, did you notice the performance difference? So I pulled it out of the box and, you know, was real small, looked very similar to the Raspberry Pi. First thing that bit me was I was not prepared for the micro SD slot because I don't have any of the Raspberry Pi 2s. I just have the Raspberry Pi 1s, which used a regular SD card uh, slot. And so I had to go out and I had to, actually had to take the, the micro SD card out of my wife's phone to use for this um, and flashed it relatively short order, plugged it in. The first thing that I noticed was, yeah, I didn't get, I plugged it into a 1080p monitor and it, it just created like a frame in the center of the monitor. It didn't actually full screen to the whole screen of the Is monitor. Is this a TV TV monitor? No, or no, no. It's a computer monitor. It's an actual computer monitor. Huh. Um, and so that was that was a little strange. I didn't really care too much. It wasn't a big deal. I could have fixed it maybe if I tried, but um, 
but uh, it, it booted up the first boot, uh, and I also flashed Ubuntu Mate. First boot took forever. Like, I mean, like 20 minutes forever. I mean, it took forever to boot up. Um, but once it booted up, I was greeted with a familiar uh, setup screen from Ubuntu Mate. And this is where something kind of set in with me, Chris. And, and that was that one of the things I think I really like about Linux is if you are a Windows user, for example, you get Windows pre-installed on the devices that you buy Windows with. And mm-hmm. then those versions become you know out of date. And so some versions, you don't have the latest product key. And so those computers, you're using Windows XP. And then the ones in between, you're using Windows 7. The newest one shipped with Windows 8, but you upgraded them to 10. But some of them haven't upgraded, so some of them are on 8. And so the UI across all of these devices is just a little bit different. And the settings are in slightly different places and everything. Oh, just- I know exactly where you're going. I had the same exact impression. And, and so yeah. when I booted into Ubuntu Mate... Even I, though you've done it a hundred times, it still blows your face off that on this $35 computer, right. you have the exact same desktop computing environment exactly. you have on your nice laptop. Exactly. And, and you know, and it's, it's before I even thought about it, it was, it was almost, it was almost like a reflex. It was muscle memory. My hand immediately went control alt T sudo app, get install VLC, mm-hmm. saw that VLC installed sudo app, get And actually VLC. this, I think is the logic just to go side rail real quick. This mm-hmm. is the logic behind uh, Wimpy's uh, Mate tweak. Is you know uh, in Mate tweak I do, do 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 like three things and then I go edit the main menu and now that's basically all the tweaking I do for Mate and I'm I'm good to right. go. Uh, and so that's that was my that was my impression. That's um, it's interesting. We've had that same experience. That was absolutely where I was going to go with this. Is when I when I boot these things up now and I configure it with um, the way I like my desktop to look and all of uh-huh. that. You have the two machines side by side. You almost initially wouldn't even recognize it. And exactly, if, if it wasn't GNOME Web, still feels a little slower than I'd like it to. I, yeah, I was using Firefox. Yeah, I, I figured Firefox would be worse, but maybe I should have. Uh, I so I use GNOME Web. Uh, mm-hmm. I like GNOME Web. I do feel like mm-hmm. it's not the fastest browser on the planet, but it. I felt like uh, I felt like in the past with the Raspberry Pi, uh, there was attacks for running a couple of applications in like how it you know would respond. Oh yeah. Uh, I feel like, like I could run Firefox comfortably on the Raspberry Pi one, but you know, and it took a little bit to get the programs loaded and that I definitely noticed. And I kind of wonder if that's not the speed of the SD card and not necessarily the Pi. but to if you look on the Ubuntu Mate website, they talk specifically about the class of SD card you should use to get the best results. Yeah. And see, I didn't, I'll, I'll look here. This is a class, uh, <laughs> HC class one. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. But I, just, I pulled it out of my wife's phone. I think it needs like to be class six at least. It was still a usable experience. Yeah. Once Firefox loaded, everything was fine. So um, can no. I start? Well, I want to start right there because this is why, why you're on the USB uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had your SD card, and here's here's sort of my first negative: is the SD card reader and the I believe the Ethernet port are on the same USB bus, and that's not a huge that's not a huge win. So for me, I think I might end up trying 802.11n, but it's only 2.4 gigahertz. Mm-hmm. Which is not awful, but that means I got to turn 2.4 gigahertz back on. Um, mm-hmm. So that sucks. But uh, so the idea, though, could be is if you could get a good 802.11n connection uh, on this thing, mm-hmm. and you get a good fast SD card, mm-hmm. it's I doubt it, but it's possible you could get faster transfer rates uh, than you could over Ethernet because. Hmm. Uh, the Wi-Fi is on its own controller, and the SD card would then be on its own controller. So you would be that might that might be something to experiment. With. So I'm going to experiment more with that once I turn 2.4 gigahertz back on. Uh, so sure. I found multitasking and running applications much better with the new Raspberry Pi. In fact, I started to think to myself, "Holy crap! This is actually this Feel is like now that. an entry level desktop alt option." Yep. Uh, yep. Did yours get warm? 
I, no, not not so much. But the other thing is, I I only tried. I did not have. Uh, I wouldn't say I had a great experience multitasking. I got yeah. Quassel client and yeah. Firefox opened up, and that was basically it. And anything yeah. else started to bog down. But it actually was possible. And this isn't like even the fanciest chip in, around this. I mean, this isn't even the fanciest board around this price. Right. Uh, you know, there's slightly nicer rigs out there. Yep. That. Just for a yeah, few, you know, five dollars more, and you could get yeah, or less actually, or <clears throat> less. And, and I'll I'll get into that, you know, okay. at least my opinion on that in, yeah. in a second. But I uh, I tried uh, playing some videos and compressed uh, MP4s or AVIs. Those played just fine. Trying to open a full uncompressed ISO image yeah. though, playing DVD did not work at all. Yeah, Friday I was, was gonna say uh, I, I haven't done all of my all of my testing in that either. This could be a better multimedia uh, Cody mm -hmm. box, and I'm willing to give it a, a a shot maybe in Lady Jupiter as a project. But I I still think for some of the stuff I watch, this might not. I think it's all it's all gonna come down to hardware decoding. It just might not support it there. So what here? I guess here's and here's where here's where eventually because we can talk about other boards here or, or or my or how I got off to another board here is this device seems like it's highly well suited for single task computing things like so for example we have a computer that sits on the on the back door of the shop when 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 our guys come in they can close a work order or open a work order and basically all that has to do is rub a web, run a web browser now. At face value, this seems like this would be an excellent choice for something like that. But the problem is it has that HDMI connector. And so all of the old, you know, uh, repurposed computer monitors that I would want to use with something like this are all VGA. And oh, so I, really? I, I ended up spending more <clears throat> on the monitor than I would on the computer itself. I don't have anything VGA. Um, oh, really? So HDMI is pretty much everything I have is either DVI, DisplayPort, or HDMI. And HDMI is going to work with either one of those. Yeah. So I don't have, that's not a problem for me. That's a weird problem to have, dude, in no, 2016. I don't, I don't think so. I think a lot of the people that are looking for, for entry-level computer needs stuff, I think they're using repurposed displays, and I think a lot of those are still going to be VGA. But the uh, the one good okay. thing that I really, really liked about this, uh -huh. maybe I'm wrong. We'll no, see. you might be. I just, that's but, not a world I live in, I guess. But I, uh, but the one thing I really, really appreciated about the three over the one, and I don't care what anyone says, this was a problem with the one. Um, the one was extraordinarily finicky about power supplies. And it would have this unique little problem. No matter what power supply I tried, and believe me, I tried them all, if I plugged in a USB component, two USB components at the same time, it would shut the pie off. And mm. if it did that at an inopportune time, you would just corrupt the SD card and then it wouldn't boot again. And so that was one of the first things I tried with the three. And I can unplug and plug USB stuff all day long with this thing and it doesn't shut off, which oh. is great. Yeah. You know, it, I think it's using like a 2.4 amps now. It's using more, it's pulling more amperage now. So that's one thing to consider if you're building these into some, some kits of yours. It does pull a little mm -hmm. more power. Uh, so I want to talk about why I, so I think you were getting there. I started looking at other devices. Uh, like yep. the Odroid C2 because it's got two gigs of RAM, which is a big plus, and mm -hmm. uh, it's also 64-bit. And I think there is because it's using a newer ARM instruction set. I think there's 64-bit images of Arch and whatnot that work for it already. So that's what I came across, and I think it tends to be like ten bucks more depending on what you get. There's a lot of really cool accessories out there, like a Raspberry Pi laptop dock is one that's being built right now. Uh, Element 14 sells a lot. I have a prediction. I think the Raspberry Pi 3 is going to have a new accessory, and it might even be an official accessory, is a heatsink. Um, in my testing, when I was trying to do the multitasking stuff, in my estimation, this thing ran, I don't really remember how warm the last one ran, but this one seems like it runs warmer. And I started thinking it wouldn't be bad if I was having this thing do some serious work. Like, if, if this was a critical piece of 
machinery, I might want to have this thing cooled. But you know what? You know what? Mm-hmm. I, you know what? This for thirty-five bucks, you could get a couple of these and hook them up to your stereos. And now that they have built-in Wi-Fi, uh, you could just basically put it around your house, and you could have you could connect it and stream music to speakers in your house. This is a nice so, little device for that now. So here, here's kind of where I came to is after I, I too started looking at other devices, and really what I settled on was the Pine sixty-four, and here's why: it's actually cheaper than the uh, than the Raspberry Pi three. You get two gigs of memory. Um, and so overall, it just seems like a better buy. The only downside is this is using the Broadwell chipset or Broadcom chipset. Yes. And, the, and the, what is the, what is the all, all winner, I think is a chipset that's on, on the Alpine. Yeah. And so th- th- it's going to be a little bit less supported and it's going to be a little less popular. Um, but I think bang for your buck, I think you're probably better off with the, with the Pine 64 than the Raspberry Pi three. Although Again, it'll be interesting to see all the little tiny purpose. Oh, you know what? The other thing I tried to do with this hmm. that didn't work out so well, I tried to have a JB streaming device that would just continually play the JB stream and it drops it after just a couple of hours and then hangs up and I got to restart the pie. So uh, even something, even something media, very simple like that does not seem to be a continuous thing. It seems like it, it, it hangs up, but well, that's not encouraging. That is not super encouraging. Well, I think that the pie. I think the problem is that the pie was designed from the ground up to be an educational yes. tool, yes. play with, and learn. And I think that yes. people like you and me have tried to, and not just you and I, but a lot of people have just tried to encompass it into this general purpose, uh, inexpensive computer that we can use for projects. And I, I just don't think it was ever really designed for that. And I think that's kind of an unfair way to evaluate it. But. The, uh, what I walked away with is it's definitely faster than the Pi One. It's definitely a cool toy to have. It was well oh, worth yeah. the bucks. <clears throat> it's not going to make its way into any serious production thing for me. No, I think I think like with the example with Ryan, it's perfect for that kind of thing, especially the Raspberry mm-hmm. Pi Three with built-in wireless. I think for some projects around the house or for schools, it's a slam dunk. And mm-hmm. I think if this is a starter board that maybe uh, you, you know for thirty-five bucks, you get a full computer here. You, you know, mm-hmm. you just bring the keyboard and mouse and uh, connectivity. Uh, and, the, and yeah, and the display, you know, a modern display. And uh, I'm so mostly agreeing with you. Uh, a modern, modern display, and uh, you have a full computer ready to go that runs Linux. So that can't be understated. That's a huge deal. And if you get if it gets you kind of interested, we have links to some other devices in the show notes. I think mm-hmm. I, I I like I mentioned like the amperage looks like 2.1 amps or something like that. We have those mm-hmm. details in the show notes, specs in the show notes, accessories in the show notes, details about Ubuntu Mate, which is I think a slam dunk for this thing. It's ridiculous. And by the way, Wimpy did recommend a Class Six or Class Ten micro. SDHC card. Uh, so yeah, check all that out, including the Raspberry Pi dock that's being built around it. I'm going to play with it some more, though, and try multimedia tasking with it and maybe trying to make it a Bluetooth speaker because there's a project out there right now that's making that crazy easy to do. They just have to get some of the Bluetooth driver stuff figured out, and it's pretty much done for the Raspberry Pi 3. And that's kind of where the thing's at right now. It's early, but to see the community, you know, uh, Ubuntu Mateo was out day one. A bunch of other stuff had ready-to-go publications on it. I have a link to the Raspberry Pi magazine. Uh, I think it was like issue 43. Day one, they had a huge dedicated magazine to it. It's a good read, and it's a PDF. goes in massive detail. Have that in the show notes. So this thing launched with quantities ready to go so people like Noah and I could order it and get and play with it. Uh, they, had, they had Raspberry Pi insiders who had it early so they could work on it and have stuff ready to go with it. I mean, they've really got this process down now. And this is a go-to educational board, in our opinion. And then if you get your, uh, you get your taste buds just a little excited and you want something a little sweeter and a little tastier, 
We have more information in the show notes. All right, that's the Linux Action Show's look at the Raspberry Pi 3. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Big thank you to Ryan for joining us. Uh, but we have some more coming up. We got some emails to read. Uh, we're going to talk about the big Dr. Emma versus Noah Linux switch competition update. We have a big update on that. And uh, we're going to take some calls to solve a moral quandary that I am facing. But first, I want to thank our segment sponsor, the folks over at System76, who build computers designed to run Linux. They obsess over every little detail, so that way you have an easy, out-of-the-box experience from a server to a desktop all the way down to a laptop. They like the Oryx Pro. Oh, that Oryx Pro. Oh, or the Lemur. Light, fast, and strong. Go check out all the different solutions over at System76, like that Meerkat. Like that meerkat. Rigs born to run Ubuntu with great support. They're members of the Linux community. Check them out. Stop fighting with your hardware. You get to play with your Linux at system76.com. Just let them know the Linux Action Show sent you. Hey, Mr. Noah, you want to take the first email on the show this week? Absolutely. So, uh, Serpio? 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 Writes in and he says, here's a piece of software I submitted to the Reddit in the past, but it didn't seem to be very popular back then. Now it looks like you may have a better use case for it. It's a script to limit the CPU frequency based on the CPU temperature. Disclaimer, I am the author and maintainer of the software. Cheers. And then he gives you a link to the GitHub page. And so, Chris, I think essentially what he's getting at is this might be a really great tool for you. On the Purism? Some of the problems on the on Libram. Libram. Yeah. <clears throat> you could actually use software to control uh, the speed of the processor. And I might play with this. I, I've been attending to. Uh, I, I've been very carefully monitoring the temperatures to make sure I don't overheat it. However, yesterday, the Libram did not power on. I honestly have not troubleshot it further than that. Uh, so I'll, I, have it un, I have it unplugged right now. I'm going to plug it back in uh, probably later today and try to power it up. But once I do, I will try to get that working. Because uh, that does seem like a possible solution. Okay, I'll read the next one. I'll take it. It comes in from Sean. Gentlemen, I'm an engineer, and I do some system administration. Is that maybe eng ops? But I want to know more. Nay, I want to know all of the things. I've just purchased a domain, and I want to set up my house as a sandbox to do all of the things I just never got around to trying before. Setting up a web and email server at home, then eventually moving them to DigitalOcean. Setting up a proper network and firewall, DNS file, and media servers. Wiring my house for gig Ethernet, and maybe a guest network with captive portal login so I can stop giving visitors... My WPA password. My questions are this. Where do I start and what kind of equipment should I consider? Do I tackle the network first and then add functionality or expand the network as I bring services online? I don't have anywhere to put a rack, so I don't want to have a room full of desktops for each device. Which, if any of these functions, could I reliably combine on a single machine? I don't think I need Cisco gear or Xeon-level servers. I want to keep the cost down, so this is really just for fun and practice. Somewhere for me to put my Linux Academy learnings to work. Look forward to your recommendations, Sean. So, uh, Noah, I think you and I probably both have a few ideas for mm -hmm. this. I'd love to hear yours. Go ahead. I just got done doing this, actually. And so the, here, here are my couple tips. My first tip is run Cat6 to every wall in your house if you can afford to reasonably and comfortably do so. Because it, So what, what we did was we actually took uh, – it, it's, it's called SmurfTube, and it basically is like a flexible conduit. And I ran four of them from the basement up into the attic. And then from and that's where I had all my equipment was down in the basement. Now, if you don't have room for an actual server rack, that's okay. They actually make little tiny little wall racks. In fact, they've got some that are so small it's actually just a for you bracket almost. That you oh can yeah, put, yeah. Like a switch and a, and a router and something like that. And yes. then of course, 
I have used a, a Microtech for my routers, and I, uh, you know, there's a ton of different switches. You can pick up a smart switch like the the Netgear ones that actually do a really good job. It's a managed gigabit switch, um, and I guess that would give you the the fundamentals, right? Right. And then from there, what, and then you get like a little punch plate so you can, you can run all your wires to, but then what I did was I just ran cat six to every wall in the house. And that way, you know, because everything is going over network these days, you know, your TV is, and obviously the computers are and any home automation stuff you might want to do. It just gives you future expandability. And if you run the wires one time, you pull them all up and drop, you know, just two into each, each wall. At least you have them there if you ever need them. Maybe you only cut yeah. two of them out what of the I wall. What I did is I just I moved talking. into a really small space, so Wi-Fi mm-hmm. easily covers everything. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> oh, that's the, another way to do it. <laughs> you know, he mentioned though. Uh, he mentioned getting hardware. I know uh, you and I have bought old rigs off of eBay, for, like old yep. server grade rigs off of eBay. That is good experience. For sure. Uh, one thing I would maybe recommend is buy a nice machine that has some. It's a modern enough CPU that has some virtualization features, and look at something like Proxmox. You mentioned not a lot of room for this. Well. Same problem here with JB1 Studios, and Proxmox has been running for a couple of years now in production. Uh, really useful, really reliable, and it just keeps getting better. And that's a, it's a great way to play with containers and virtual machines with a UI that's reasonable and server-grade. So virtualization obviously could get you some of the way there. I would, you know, honestly, I would start fairly simple. Build, don't build something you don't understand. So you're asking about the complexity of your network. I would, you, mm-hmm. you, if you have the essential wiring down, like Noah's talking about, you can iterate on top of that for years. So start with the basic, you know, level wiring, get that all figured out, or whatever you're using. Maybe look at something like PFSense for your captive portal and your firewall. Get those basics. Mm-hmm. Do all you say. So so start with maybe everything on a PFSense firewall for your for your mm-hmm. DNS and your DHCP and and those things. And then later on, experiment with spinning those off on a Linux server that could be running on a Proxmox v, uh, uh, VM, like maybe a Bind server or something like that. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Scaling up is the way to go. It's, in fact, I would even take it so far as to if if the first couple of days when you have the setup, you have a Linksys router or a r- router modem combo, and you just start breaking that stuff out. Now you have the modem, and you separate that off into a router and a switch and stuff like that. You know, and you can you can slowly branch your way out. And as far as a guest network, the nice thing about almost any modern. Uh, any modern store-bought router has a guest mode by default, and so you can start off having that just enabled a pre-bought. You know, it just it's ready to go and it works. And then, like Chris said, you can start expanding that off and breaking that off, and and trying to add a service here, add a service there, see if you can get that to work without taking your whole network or your entire house down. And actually, you know, what we do here at the shop, actually, we have two separate networks, so you can put. It, it depends on if your ISP will let you do this, but ours will let us put a switch in between the cable modem. And so the cable modem goes into a switch and then the switch goes out to two routers. And one is our sandbox router that we play with and then one is the one where we actually get work done. And the nice thing about that is you can screw up this other sandbox side of your network and it doesn't take your yeah. wife off the internet from upstairs. So <laughs> That's a good spouse approval factor. Okay, so we have a moral quandary that I'm facing and it comes around this competition that brewed when we visited System76 in Colorado. Dr. Emma versus Noah on switching as many people as possible to Linux. They both think they're quite good. Uh, I mm-hmm. happen to know from experience, I've watched, Noah, I've watched Noah switch people in line at Five Guys to Linux, so I know he's got pretty good talent there. Uh, and so we have been waiting to sort of unveil the plans, and now that Linux Fest Northwest is nigh, we have some details to share. Go ahead, Noah. So Tuesday, I sat down with the teleconference with Emma, and basically, we'd been going back and forth about this competition, and it basically stemmed from this idea that both of us want to see everyone on Linux. We both believe that Linux is the desktop that everyone should be on, and that if they just gave it a shot, 
they would have, they would never go back. Now, both of us have kind of unique things backing us up. And, and, and on Emma's side, she has an entire company that's dedicated to manufacturing and making computers that are basically born to run Linux. Yeah, and so she yeah. has. And people might be calling in and being like, hi, I'm thinking about this thing. Can you tell me about it? Now it count right. as a switch. Not only that, they not only that they, she has the ability to to promise forward the ability to offer them support and stuff like that. So I have had to be I have had to become a little bit more creative about how I'm going to attack this. And what a lot of people know, and some people think this is wrong and is is wrong and 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 dishonest. And other people understand that it's just what you have to do sometimes. I have when I switch people to Linux, I I pull their hard drive out. So if they ever want to go back to Windows, they have it in their hand, and I simply replace it with a hard drive with another hard drive installing with Linux, and that makes it really easy for them to comprehend that they have all their data is still safe and I haven't actually done anything with it. And then they have their new drive, except the new drive, because I want it to be so much faster than Windows, is we use solid states, which, of course, leads everyone to boot up and say, wow, Linux is amazing. It's super fast. This is crazy faster than my 10 year old hard drive that was, you know, and, and but they don't necessarily realize that. And I just I just chalk that up to Linux needs a, a little extra punch where we can get it. Now, uh, System76 has thrown all in behind Emma. They are bringing swag. They are bringing distros. They are bringing demo laptops to show people wow. exactly can do. So what I have done is I have reached out to some of my friends in the Mumble community and in, in, in IRC and other places, and we are going to formulate a 24-hour Linux hotline that people can call in and get free advice, tips, oh and troubleshooting on how to fix their Linux box. In addition to that, I will be bringing a box full of SSDs out with me. And so when we get on site to to the restaurant, which hasn't exactly been determined yet, we are going to we are going to follow by the uh, we are going to abide by the following rules. You cannot already be running Linux. So you can't already be a Linux user just pretending to be a Windows user. Okay. You actually have to be a Windows or Mac user. You have to, you know, either bring your laptop in if you if you want us to, to install it for you, or agree to take home, in my case, an SSD, in Emma's case, a little CD with Ubuntu on it. And uh, and then you'll have to you'll have to walk through and install. Now I will have pre-installed SSDs with Ubuntu, so all you'll have to do is swap <laughs> them. If you bring your computer in, I will, at no cost to you, swap your drive with an SSD preloaded with Ubuntu. To, and all you have to do is agree to run that as your primary or even dual booted operating system. But you have to install and use Linux. And that's going to be taking place the Saturday of Linux Fest during the evening at one of the restaurants. Now, what Chris was alluding to is he has a bit of a. a I, I have. I, I am stuck now because. Yeah. Uh, so I, there's two ways I could go about this. And I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the audience. So if somebody wants to call us in right now, they can. I'll put the uh, I'll put the phone number in the chat room because this is my quandary. Noah, is do I remain a partial arbitrator, a commentator, mm -hmm. a journalist, if you will, on the mm -hmm. subject so I can report to the audience? fair and balanced what's happening mm -hmm. or recognizing that Emma will have the entire weight of System 76 behind her. Right. Do I throw in behind my boy Noah and we bring the entire might of the Linux Action Show? Crazy Linux Action Show goes crazy with switching you to Linux. Come and we'll switch for you. Like we just go all out, right? But the thing is, is then I lose my impartial status. So this right. is a moral quandary I now face uh, and the only solution is to turn over the will to the people and let them decide. So we've uh, had a couple of people call in right now. So I'm going to bring in one right now. We'll see what uh, Belixia thinks. I'm, I think it might be it might be Bill. It might be Bill Lixa. Bill, are you there? Bill, are you, Bill, Bill, are you there? Bill, no, Bill's uh, not there. Lixa. Bill Lixa. Okay, Lixa. So Bill, uh, are you here to help me with my moral quandary? What do you think I should do? 
Um, well, first off, my my main opinion is this is the Linux Action Show. I don't see why any why you should ever put any stops in trying to help further Linux. Okay, right. But more importantly, isn't that sort of a thing you've already been doing for a long time coming? Why why would so you're how, saying, how you if say I'm following you're... you, you're saying it's my moral obligation to throw all in behind Noah because that will likely bring the more the most switchers to Linux as possible, which overall is a good thing for Linux. So by throwing in behind Noah, I'm helping Linux as a whole because then then we're going to bring more switchers. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm hearing. Yes, yeah. and I mean that's brilliant. You're, you're already the Linux action show. I don't know that you could necessarily be terribly impartial. It's true. That's true. I, that's true. Yeah. You know what? Okay. Thanks, Bill Lixa. I think uh, that's pretty good. All right. We'll give one. We'll give one. I will take one alternative. Uh, we could have. We have. We have a couple more people calling in, but I kind of like that take. We have other. Mm -hmm. We have other takes on there. But you know what? We'll see if Romeo is still on the line because he had kind of an interesting. Uh, Romeo, are you still on the line? Yep, I'm still here. You had kind of an interesting. What? Ask what? him if he's the guy that makes a bunch of Linux jokes. What? Are you I, the guy that makes um, all the Linux jokes, Romeo? Are you the guy that makes all the? That's what Noah wants. To yeah, do. yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's him. That's awesome. Yep. So, Romeo, you just had a quick kind of like news thing you wanted to pass along to people listening about transmission, right? Yeah, um, I just heard uh, transmission. The OSX installer for version two point nine zero. Uh, has malware in it that mm -hmm. will apparently sit silently for three days and then start encrypting stuff. Yeah. Uh, All right. Ransomware. Thank you for, uh, yeah, so I, we should probably pass that along because some of you may be watching this on OS Ten and using uh, that software, so that's a good one. All right, so Jata is calling in. We'll take a, This will be our last call. Jata, you're on the Linux Action Show. What do you think about my moral quandary? Hey, hello. Hello, uh, sir. Hello. So what well, should I do? For, for, the sake, for the sake of the competition, I think you should be neutral. But we're trying to get as many people on Linux, so maybe you should help your your guy. Wow! All right, <laughs> thank you, sir. That's that's two. You know, he's like, you should be partial, but this is better. This, so we're gonna have to do it. No, we're gonna have to go all in. Which means we should probably have our own sway. We got SSDs. We should probably have our yeah. own sway. We got to come up with a game plan, though. We got to go all in. I know. I know. There's no way. I know. There's no way to stop. Here's the. Here's the. Thing. I. I actually went. Bat, I batted the SSD thing back and forth for a while because on one hand, I feel like it's kind of an unfair advantage, and also I don't want people just showing up that aren't interested in Linux. They're just interested in an SSD. And there's that. But on the other hand, we have talked so many times about how well that works, and that's just kind of the signature. Are way you going to make them boot an other OS first to verify it's a switch? Um. Well, what if they just uh, no, showed because up to get we, the SSD? We, talked about this. we can't actually reasonably expect people to bring because the idea is right that we're going to go into a restaurant where nobody necessarily oh, knows right. and try to just switch people. And so they're not going to have their computers with us, uh, with them. Meetup.com so, slash Jupiter Broadcasting, where we pick yeah. this place, we'll put it there, and then you yeah. get everybody involved, have them bring their computers. Dude, could you imagine how if we switched people right there on the spot? All right, so when we have this ready to go, we're going to have a meetup page for this thing. For this, for this, we're going to have a where and then we'll promote it in the show, and maybe we we can even get it on the Linux Fest uh, uh, agenda or something. We'll figure it out. This is important. This is this has become important. Stay tuned for future developments. This may be the biggest thing happening at Linux Fest Northwest. It doesn't happen at Linux Fest Northwest. I'm just saying. All right, Noah, if uh, folks want to get a hold of us, you know where they could go? JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. Boom. Also, the subreddit LinuxActionShow.reddit.com to submit stories, uh, 
projects you want to spotlight, let us know about, uh, desktop app picks, or just feedback and comments is all appreciated. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. We do this show live on Sundays over at jblive.tv. You can get that converted to your local time zone at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. It's fun to have you live because there's a lot more show uh, in between segments. We got the, so we got the chat room going, and we got the live calls going, which is super fun too, and you can participate in jblive.tv. I mean, little Sunday services here at the Linux Action Show. Does does you? I do want to. I do want to give a shout out to all of the all of my my new friends. I was invited as a guest speaker at the University of North Dakota this week to speak on open source and security related software and how it uh, it how it relates to technology and communication. And so um, I was I was fortunate enough to get to talk to them and and we got a huge great conversation going about Linux. Of course, everyone in the classroom received a copy of Ubuntu, and uh, nice. I I understand I understand that a couple of them are watching the podcast this week. So cool. hello and. Very much for having me, and thank you very much for your interest in Linux. And hopefully, it sticks. Yes. Oh, oh, oh! Before we go, I guess this is probably mm-hmm. way too late in the show. But just to call out, uh, I need some more backgrounds. Uh, this one was a great one. Uh, of of Rock. yeah. So it's Rock. no. Rock. This is this is my creation. This is my creation. Oh, I just really? like it. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. It's bonus points to people in the comments. Leave a comment. Who is this person in the background for this week's episode of Linux Action Show? If you're watching the video version, let me know. I'll be impressed. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. Hey, Ryan, do you have a Mycroft in there? Come on, now, how come there's not a Mycroft in the background? Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, oh, in a nice briefcase. Oh, that is, there you go. Nice. I like it. <laughs> Oh, cool! Ooh, neat. I yeah. like that you carry it in the metal suitcase. Yeah, no, let me show you something even better. This is what we use to present it to people. It's got... No. It's got a... So when we open it, it's like... Oh, you have oh, lighting? Do you have blue lighting yeah. in there? LED lighting? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to see it on the stream. But oh, that's great. Oh, that is really great. It's like some radioactive. Nice effect. With the nuclear launch codes. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Good thinking. It's all about the presentation. So you know all about, like... Uh, you know, I can't compete, really, because you know all about, like, you know, staying... Up. Like, you know that, that feeling you get as a parent... Uh, when like you're you're trying to stay aware of what's happening with the kids, like mm-hmm. there's there's some reason that you need to be alert, and so you can't properly sleep yes. because like your radar is constantly scanning yep. the house for. Yep. So last night, uh, I, I I knew that I, I needed a good night's sleep, and so mm-hmm. I took you know you, we have this bottle of Advil PM, and it says take two Advil PM, and I go. Now I'm just gonna take one because I just I just yeah. want help falling asleep. I don't want to be groggy. I'll just take one Advil PM instead of the two that it recommends. So I take an Anvil PM, and just as I start to drift off in that beautiful place, yep. I hear yep. big thump. You get out of bed. Abby had rolled out of bed, and it's about a three fall, three foot, two, oh. three foot fall. Thump. Of course, this is the end of the world. She's fine. She's fine. But this yeah, is yeah. now she's just a wreck, and so she's she's woken right. everybody up because she's a yeah, total wreck. Because exactly. not that she's hurt, she's scared. Mm-hmm. So I get her back to bed. But now, now I can't help it. Now I'm like. Now I'm on total like radar yeah. mode all mm-hmm. night listening. So finally, I'm not kidding you. I finally got up like, uh, I don't know, midnight. And I, I like I checked some headlines and just like was trying to just distract myself for a little while. I get back to bed around one o'clock. Just start to drift off. Rolls off again. No. Rolls off again. Just as I'm falling asleep. 
And I'm oh, getting like, I'm getting like during the process, like I'm now I'm getting like now I try to go back down. I'm getting like this weird restless body syndrome. Like I can't, oh. I can't like, like I I'm laying one spot and all of a sudden I have to move. Like I can't like, uh, like otherwise it's just agonizing and it's just weird. So then I'm like, okay, well now what's going on? Because this this is a weird sensation I'm getting. It feels like yeah. a tingling. So I look it up and it's like some people experience restless body syndrome from the primary ingredient in Advil PM. So I had oh, this no. sensation all for the rest of the night after laying down, like I, I'd have to move. Even if I'm like exhausted, I'd be laying there and all of a sudden I gotta move. Kept me up all night. All night long, so. Oh, I'm tell, sorry. Tell you what, tell you what, Noah. Looking forward to that birthday party. 